The first cut, cut, the first cut, the first cut, cut, first, the first, first cut, cut, cut. Oh man, this is going to be a good episode. I'm excited just to even talk about it. Yeah, well, this is, this is, this is Kevin Stitt. Now, for those of you that don't know Kevin, I'm just going to like go on his IMDb page and start reading from the top down. 42, Jack Reacher, Man on the Ledge, this is it, the documentary. Uh, surrogates, Cloverfield, <laughs> The Kingdom, Apocalypto, uh, Paycheck, The X-Men. Order, X-Men, uh, Deep Blue Sea, Deep Blue, additional, additional lighting, I should say, on Deep Blue Sea, but like, fuck, yeah, I mean, like, this he's, guy been, was, he's been a busy guy. He was, he was definitely a, a busy, busy, busy man for the last decade. So this week on In the Cut podcast, um, take a listen to uh, Kevin Stitt's interview, uh, Jeff actually interviewed him, who's not here right now. Um, By the way, this is going to be a running theme, so if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, you'll notice that Jeff hasn't been to any of these introductions, and that's because we, you know, recorded them all We like pointing out that he's like, you know, he's either too cool, or maybe he's just like a busy guy. Like, he's got a lot going on. Probably still on his paper route. (laughs) No, actually, I think he's at Bingo. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, This is the last episode of In the Cut for the season, we should mention, so... Uh, this would be episode... 702. Well, it's the 20th episode. And I hope episode. you're still with us. Yeah, the 20th episode of In the Cut. But, you know, just we'll, we'll, we'll be back again with more In the Cut at some point. But, you know, if you haven't checked out our previous episodes, please do. Check us out on craftcheck.com and um, all the other goodies that are there. So, enjoy. And keep it real. I'll just teach you simple cuts to start with. <laughs> Now, did you, like, I mean, how did you become, like, an action guy? I'm not saying you are just an action guy, but I mean... No, but that's probably, you know, they love to typecast you in this business. Yeah. Um, I do. I, I, you know, I take one look at you, and I think romantic lead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's probably, I probably pursued it. The movies I sort of grew up with, uh, you could probably classify them all as action movies. Go ahead. What are the ones that influenced you the most? Probably, you know, movies like The Great Escape. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of Bob Aldrich films. Um, the interesting thing about those movies are is they're, they usually have a couple things in common. They're, they're an ensemble cast, and they're kind of character-driven. And that's what makes a good action movie. Is the is the is the, is the fact that there's still a good character? Right yeah, there. absolutely. So, would it be fun? Are we starting the interview? Oh yeah, yeah. No, oh, okay. no, no, no. We, 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 we <laughs> the whole the whole thing I learned is that we just keep talking, keep going. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it just becomes really yeah nauseating for everyone. Sure. But like, so would that mean that you want kind of drama or no? Uh, definitely. Yeah, I, I I interviewed for a show a couple of years ago, and they, and the director said to me, he said. Um, I feel this story is a love story. He said, have you ever cut a love story before? I didn't quite know what to tell him other than I always considered payback a love story. <laughs> it is what it is. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, they want to classify you into human conditions, but it's all a human condition. Right. And it's all part of the same storytelling, you know, bag of tricks. Right. So Let's talk about payback for a second. Sure. You're stepping into the shoes of... This is, I think, the third iteration of that novel. The first one being Point Blank. No, Point Blank. Point Blank, which yeah. is 
you know, a masterpiece that influenced absolutely Soderbergh. My dad took me to see that movie in the theaters. Right. Yeah, it was great. And it was, and and it's also an editor's movie. It totally is. I mean, just off the top, we have that that walking, 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 and you know, down the hallway of the plane, which is still there at LAX. That same hallway. That same hallway with the mosaic. Every time I come back, I yeah. walk through it. I'm thinking Lee Marvin. Right. <laughs> so, so, but it's 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 a, it's a revenge it's a revenge story. Right. He's been duped by his by his girlfriend and his ex partner, left for dead, and he rises up out of the ashes, comes back, right, and has to sort of get even with his partner once and for right. all. Right. Um, was there any desire to cut it non linearly? Or as not even non-linearly, it's like there's a sequence where we're in, in Point Blank where where Coburn, sorry, not Coburn, John Verner, no, no, the, the lead, Lee Marvin, Lee Marvin, thank you. There's a sequence in Point Blank where Lee Marvin, over the course of like a minute, every all the furniture in the apartment disappears, right, and the girl, you know, like it's like a year evolves in that one minute or something like right. that, and kind of like. Pre-Andy Kaufman, you know, Charlie Kaufman. I, I, I don't know what Borman's intention is, but my feeling was that it was always the reminiscence of events by a dying man, which is why it's non-linear and sort of juxtaposed. He's that's dying. my That's my interpretation of it. He's dying. Uh, Lee Marvin doesn't make it out of that movie. You're right. <laughs> at least, not, at least I don't think. So then how is Payback a love story? His true love is uh, Maria Bello's character, right? Which where they were kept from, and they get back together. But the A story is get even is get the revenge, right? But that so. brings him back to her, which events had taken place which kept them. He was her driver. She was a prostitute, and he really loved her. That's awesome. Yeah. So and so, what? How 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 much work did that take to build that relationship as you're cutting the movie? Well, Brian Helgeland wrote it, right? So it was all there, and it was his version. Of course, was different than the theatrical version. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, was, okay. So tell us about the differences there. Well, it was sort of both are. Baptism by Fire, that movie, because it was his first feature directing, and it was my first single credit editing job. Really? Yeah. So a little bit nerve-wracking experience. Yeah, and the but wasn't a huge budget. It looked like about a twenty million dollar movie. Though. It was not expensive. Right. Okay. No, and it was you know it was everybody's idea at the time was to make sort of a homage to gritty seventies crime drama. And uh, it was his version was pretty tough. So, what was the difference between that and the studio cut? Studio cut was he didn't beat up Deborah Unger. Uh huh. When, when he comes back and walks yeah. in, and, and they um, they ended up reshooting a new third act. In which what happens? In which they introduce uh, Chris Christopherson as the bad guy, and he gets the money. See the big, the big stumbling block to Brian's version when we did it, which I thought was the coolest thing about it because it was just right out of the 1970s. Was he didn't get the money? He kills the dog, or he doesn't kill the dog. The dog gets killed. 
Uh, they're not sure if he gets the girl, and they're not sure if he lives. It was like, and evidently, you cannot make a studio movie with those four aspects in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So. Like, so, but did you have to edit the the, the, the Yes. No, I was I. So the two thousand six or seven, Brian got the opportunity to go back and do his version. And the joke was with Brian, we're working on it. I go, you know, I've been working on this movie for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had Colby Parker. Uh, I know Colby. Yeah, we had Colby Parker Jr. Yeah. here who said that you know you, you mentioned Battleship and he went Scarlet Letter. <laughs> <laughs> two years, two years of my life. <laughs> he looked like a man, a man castrated and bled to death. You know, he bled out. Yeah. Anyway. Some movies will do that to you. Yeah, right. Okay. But um, the, uh, the, the this payback story is uh, really funny. It's not funny. It's fascinating. Okay. You create this cut where, in the end, Mel Gibson's character doesn't get the money, the dog dies, he, and you're not sure if he lives or gets the girl. Right. Right. Studio says no. We have to change the ending. He's got the dog's got to live. He's got to get the money. He's got to get the revenge. And him and Maria Bella right off into the sunset. Right. And um, we need to put in Chris Christopherson. Right. Because his, every good movie has Chris Christopherson. Right. With a beard. So why wouldn't they then go and hire another editor if you're so proudly standing by the version? I mean, just just to get a, like just to say no, this guy's too married to this. We. Or I, can't, I can't answer that. You'd think logically that's what would have happened. Yeah. Um, Plus, you're obviously not an affable, nice guy. No, so no. Um, first of all, Brian refused to do those changes. So he was clearly not he, involved. He, yeah, he left. Right. And I was asked to stay, but only I only stayed with Brian's blessing because Brian hired me. Right. And um, I, I don't, I can't really answer that. But I was asked to stay, and as long as I had the director's blessing, I, I did. Got it. Yeah. What did you? What were you doing up till then? Uh, assisting? I was. I had sort of moved into second editing. I'd worked with Frank Curiosity on Executive Decision and um, uh, Conspiracy Theory. That's where I met Brian. Oh, Conspiracy Theory. Right. So I was the second editor on that. Did Mel Gibson have approval over you as an editor? I'm well? sure he did. Okay. But I think Frank had a lot to do with that. Right. Because I was, you know, I didn't have a lot of credits at the time. Right. Um, and you fell into editing just... When I got out of school, um, I thought I wanted to be in production. I thought I wanted to be a DP, actually. And I worked we on... We could move over to the other set. And we could do that. <laughs> um, I... I Sort of volunteered on some independent films yep. in, in production and didn't quite like it. I realized that the creative aspect on, on a set was limited, that so much of it was support and logistics and kind of getting the trucks there on time and everything. And um, thought I'd rather sit in an office and... Uh, I, I, I kind of fell into editing and realized it's like, well, that, a lot of times that's where movies are made. Right. So well, they are. They can be made or, or maybe ruined too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting. We had um, photographer Andre Perrick uh-huh. who shot uh, Blue Valentine, right? And he said, and Half Nelson, he said, I don't think the audience comes to the theater to see great photography. They come to the theater to see great performances. Right. 
And um, uh, somebody just said to me recently, you know, you could say you say that's totally right. They don't come to the theater to see great photography, but the, but they really do come to the theater to see great editing, because that is the story. Right. Yeah. As long as they don't know that it's great editing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Unless it's not obvious. Right. Um, uh, okay. So cutting action. You cut payback. A lot of action in that movie. Yeah. You cut paycheck. Right. A lot of action in that movie. Now right. talking about John Woo who's right, right, constantly right. moving the camera. Right. There's got to be dove somewhere in the movie. I'm sure there. There is. There's dove somewhere. There's a dove in the there's movie. There's a dove. And in the gun movie. to gun. Got to be a fucking dove. In gun the movie. to gun. Face to face. Gun conflict. Right. Yeah. yeah no. And, oh, and, and is there anybody shooting by swinging their hands? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Right. As long as all those ticks. Anyway, John was apparently great to work with. He's a he's a gentleman. Yeah, I've heard that. I've yeah, heard yeah. That he's just like just a, such a sweet, talented right. guy. Um, how involved in the editing was? He, is he like right in there, or is it just sort of you do things and then he comes? Back oh no, you you show him a first cut and then he goes in and you know he does his thing. Yeah, right. He's, he's with he's, you though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Right. And he's he's a very visual filmmaker. You know, he he likes his shots, and you know, he likes to keep the camera moving, and that, that's just his style. Right. Yeah. And what? Okay. So paycheck. Ben Affleck wakes up with a series of clues. Right. From the future, I think. Right. 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 And that he's left for himself. Right. And. Uh, what's the setup again? He's a... He is a... He de-engineers technology. Right. And then he has a device that erases his short-term memory of it so that it's he's not a risk to industrial se- uh, uh, espionage. Right. It's a Philip K. Dick short story. Right. Right. And so now something bad happens and he has to try and avoid the bad guys. Right, right. Okay. And it invo- involves a sort of a time machine or a, a machine that allows you to see the future and the past. Right. So he's left himself some clues. Right. Uh, what was the, cha- the, the structural challenge of cutting this movie? Well, it's interesting enough, a lot of the movie takes place in front of this, this viewing machine, which is sort of a podium with a with a giant screen in it, and it, which was shot just green screen. Right. And nobody really knew what it was supposed to look like. Right. And so we were going back and forth on this, and, and people were involved in trying to come up with something, and I would, you know, we were maybe five or six weeks out from a preview. We definitely needed it. We couldn't have previewed it with green screen. And I used to just poke my head into the visual effects people. I go, how's the future look? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And about every week I'd punch in and say, how's the future look? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So then about two weeks before the preview, I go, how's the future look? We got nothing. (laughs) So we're scrambling. It's like, well, what do we put in there for this preview? So this is footage that was shot, or is it stuff that was supposed to be CGI'd, or are they just... Everything. It was a mixed bag. So you're cutting the story where he's looking at the screen, referring to the screen, and you're trying to, like, you know, so it's like... We're trying to figure the, the jaws out again. Everybody, the jaws closed. The burrows frowned. Yeah, you know exactly. But you have no idea what's going to be shown or what the length. No, of these I mean there are some some story points that can be shot and revisited in the screen, but it's supposed to be very highly stylized, and and nobody really could quite figure out what this was supposed to be. So now we got to come up with something. 
So I called one of the assistants in and I said, go get me 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> really? And you know where he goes through the black hole? Yes. That's what we used. You just... Just for temp. Do that. We did that. And I remember that we turned it over to the trailer department and they said, we want, um, we want those images from the, from the future machine. And I said, well, you're going to talk to Stanley Kubrick. And he had just passed away. I go, well, he's dead. I go, well, I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Uh, you happy with, happy with the final film? Yeah, it was fun. And I got to work with John. He was a great guy. Cutting action in payback. In paycheck. Faster than payback. Yes. And bigger scope. Bigger scope. Right. So you're, you're getting footage from everywhere. You're getting it from the second unit, from the third unit, if there is a third unit. You're getting it from the main unit. You're putting it together. Do you ever ring up and say, I really could use a close-up of this? or? A... Yeah, what I like to do is, is to put the sequence together. And then... The deficiencies usually show themselves, right? And then you know that way you show it to the director, and the director will almost always see the deficiencies and almost always come up with something more, a better idea. Do you work fast? I worked for an editor who said to me once, "Nobody ever got fired for being good, but if you're fast and no good, you're going to get fired." <laughs> So, you so I try to... I mean, you have to be fast. Yeah. But it's... The amount of footage that movies generate now is... You, and you have to go through it. Because there's nothing worse than showing the director a sequence. And he says, like, is that the best shot? And we go into it, and he finds out it isn't the best shot. You haven't done your job. So you have to take the time to go through the material. So let's... Talk about the changing way of the times now, the ways of the times. First of all, editing is getting faster and faster and faster. I mean, have you noticed that? In your well, a few years ago, certainly it was done the best in the Bourne series, the sort of shaky cam. Yeah. And uh, Chris Rouse was the editor of those things, and he's a master at it. Um, do you see that? Do you ever see something on screen and go... Oh, man, I don't know how. It's, it, it can be done well, and it can be done not so well. And, right. and the Bourne was, was always fantastic. Um, but, you know, geography is important in action sequences. You've got to let the audience know where it is. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of shots. Right. And um, I worked with Pete Berg on a, on a movie that... Uh, Kingdom? Yeah, and that was... He's, he's a master at that, too. Yeah. And um, but I kind of get a feeling from the way I see movies now, it's kind of playing itself out. It's sort of moving on to the next style, right? You know, because it's kind of been done. So we'll be back hanging on wides and one or Well, interesting. I just did a movie with uh, Chris McQuarrie. Oh yeah, and Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher, which I saw in the theater, and he's totally r sort of a retrograde feel to that movie. Yeah, and it was really interesting. To work on. I, first of all, the movie structurally is pretty cool. Well, he's a writer. Like, like, yeah, I yeah. know. I mean, the the, 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 stru the structuring, the idea of this guy, you know, being a sort of a spook. Yeah. Um, a ghost, a myth, and he, you know, shows up because this is a guy. The the the, the, 
due to the, the, the wrong the wrong culprit. Right. Somebody who he won't let go if he catches him doing this again, which he thinks he has. Which right. Tom Cruise character thinks he has. He shows up to find out that there's some other big mystery going on here in Pittsburgh. All's not right in Pittsburgh. Right. Um, couple sequences in there that are really fun. The car chase, the muscle car car chase, is gripping. It's it's gripping shit. Like not shaky cam. Not shaky cam. No. It just it was like the first car chase I'd seen in a movie in a long time where I yeah. went, this is just a fucking kick-ass car chase. It was refreshing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was really refreshing. And because I, it's, you start to question whether or not, as an audience member, you're still susceptible to getting a rush if it isn't. Right, like right, that, right, know, but this right. But this was pretty patient, and it sort of builds its tension. Very much a sort of a throwback to bullet type of car chase, his French connection. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, felt, it, felt like, it felt like a, like a Friedkin, yeah. that style of car chase. Chris took that approach. One of the reasons why is because Tom did all his own driving in that car chase. There's all no, of it. there's no stuntman in that car chase. Chris would work all night with or all day with Tom on first unit, and then they'd sort of go in and they'd do the car chase at night, and they were working twenty hour days. And Tom did all the driving, and so he says, "If I got Tom Cruise driving this car, we're gonna know it." <laughs> That's one of the reasons it was shot that way. And when you got the footage... I just... Well, first of all, it's right up my alley. Right. And you just say, this is going to rock. And you just let it rip. I just let it rip. And is there, any, is there ever any insecurity about cutting it because it doesn't fit the current style so much? Is there ever any, like, amount of, like, you know, nervousness, you know, like, you know... It was sort of... It was designed that way, and I just sort of perpetuated the design. I see what you're saying. Yeah, interesting you know, that you say that. Yeah, because if it's not shot, if it's not shot that way. It's pretty hard to make it that way. Quick cuts and everything, and and plus, the shots are so great. They use this thing called the uh, pursuit arm, which is a camera crane. Yeah, yeah. you know what it is. Yeah. Mount on top of a Porsche Cayenne, I think. And the cameras would just go right into it, right. doing forty, fifty miles an hour. It's like, yeah, why would, I'm not going to cut out of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the the shots themselves had their own energy. Right. Another sequence in the movie um, that should be talked about, because this one is, it, you know, it was like right on the line between kitschy and goofy. And I know what you're going to say. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> okay, so, go ahead. I bl- it's the bathroom sequence. Yes. You know, there comes... A part in almost all kinds of movies, genre movies, that you gotta let the audience know it's okay to laugh. Right. And I think that's an instance of that. Yeah. Well, it was. It's funny. Hilarious. It was fucking hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Because I gotta be honest, I, if that was written down, right? I think many a director would have been really, really scared of that sequence because how do you believe that these two numbnuts, heads. with a baseball bat and a crowbar, can't and, and and Tom Cruise is already stunned and basically knocked right, out in the bathtub. Right. Can't finish him off. Right. But the geography of the scene, about how they get caught in the window, and one guy pulling on the other, and the other guy pulling on the other, and you yeah, know, yeah. knocking each other out. It, it it was like that was a throwback to silent movies. Yeah. It was a throwback to you know like Three Stooges. Right. It was it was a throwback to a lot of things we've seen before. But it was like a reinvention of it, like a new invention of it. Yeah. Wonderfully executed. 
And it was very funny. Yeah, I thought it I thought it fit well into the movie. Was it a challenge to cut that or did it just sort of fit together nicely? It was was it a challenge? I don't I remember having a great time doing it. You know, the pieces seemed to all be there. Right. Yeah. Was there um, in this movie, like, there is a sort of a... It, it is basically, like, straight... Like, it, it's in some ways a 70s, 80s movie, right down to the fact that the final showdown takes place in, like, a, a tar pit. You right, know, like right. With, with the lights all over the right, place. Right, right, right. Caleb Deschanel's work. Fantastic. Right. You know, is there any uh, is there any element to trying to hide... I mean, Christopher McQuarrie kind of did a double, a double on us where we think the whole time, oh, the bad guy... Because it fits all these molds, the bad guy is going to be Richard Jenkins, right? And then it turns out it isn't, right? If I'm mis- no, you're, tr- you're, 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 you're yeah. correct. Um, is there any? Is there any? Was there any challenge in trying to deliver? Or was it just all like plant the seeds, keep pull it plant back? the seeds, try to keep it as ambiguous as possible, and try not to pay it off till the end. What was what was the hardest uh, sequence added in uh, in Jack Reacher? It was probably the rock quarry shootout sequence because everything's fucking black around lights. Yeah, and uh, it, there there just wasn't a lot of time to shoot it the way Chris wanted it, and he only had a few days because it was a sequence that was sort of added kind of at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And Chris went in there and sort of shot, you know, what he had, and then the rest of it he sort of directed through second unit. You know, he got all the principles and he got the main structure done, but he didn't go in. He didn't have time to go in and get his pieces. So that one, because it took, it was over shot over a course of a couple weeks. And that was probably that probably had the most challenge to it. But I thought it turned out really good. It was all done. I really well executed. Yeah, really well executed. Yeah. Um, uh, one other sequence. Oh yeah, the fight outside, the bar fight outside. He's going to get a smile. What, tell me why the smile comes on your face. It's just again is there's not a lot of cuts in it. Yeah. There's just enough. And again, Tom doing all his own stunts, and it just kicked ass. <laughs> he just dropped those guys. That's right. He's like, "How's this going to work?" Right? Is it your first punch to the balls? Uh, what in my career? No, I mean <laughs> the physical shot of Tom punching a guy in the balls. Was it my first? Was it the first time you had to edit in? I don't believe so. Okay, you, you've you've cut you've cut <laughs> yeah, shots to the balls yeah. before. Yeah. What was your first shot to the balls as an editor? You'd think I'd remember that, wouldn't you? Yes. I I don't. <laughs> Have you ever been fired off a job? No, I know. I that's pretty good, Kevin. Yeah, it really is. I'm I'm due, I guess. <laughs> as everybody gets fired. Right. 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 Um, let's go back. That was we just talked about basically your last <coughs> last time, uh, Jack Reacher. You cutting something right now? Yeah, um, doing forty-two, which is the oh, beautiful-looking trailer, by the way. Yeah, you didn't cut the trailer, did you? I did not cut the trailer, but, but it's beautiful-looking. But it's it's like they managed to take the story that could otherwise be like a HBO history movie, you know, right? And make it really into I've, a feature. I, I've I've reteamed with my great buddy Brian Helgeland, right? Wrote it and directed it, right? And it's just it's it's a movie. I'm it turned out great. I'm really proud of it, and it's it's a it's a pretty good movie. Who plays um, Chad Bozeman? 
Uh-huh. He plays Beautiful Jackie job. Robinson, yeah. Harrison Ford plays Branch Rickey. And in a very unusual he owns, character He owns the part. Right. Yeah. It's it's a way that we uh, we probably haven't seen Harrison for uh, in a while. It kind of also has like a real like not rock and roll vibe to it, but like a, like a like a fresh vibe to it. Well, it's it's been shot, you know. It's dealing with baseball in a way, and you know, Brian keeps telling me it's not a baseball movie because it's again, it's a love story, uh-huh. and it's him overcoming the adversity of of what it was like then. Right. But it's funny because you know they they shot it all in uh, Georgia, right? And in stadiums that don't exist anymore, Ebbets Field, Polo Grounds, they tore them down fifty years ago. And so they shot all green screen, a real baseball diamonds, but all green screen backgrounds. And as we worked, just a second, is everything okay? I need to what? Close that. Just call. Well, pop my calendar up. <laughs> so we lost our pretty nice little set dressing. We have to start all over. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we okay. I got it. I wrote this all down before I got it. I got to be honest. I, th- I think that I think we have to throw everything out. Probably edit it from scratch. <laughs> They'll save it in editing. What? They'll, They'll save, save it. it. We'll fix it in post. Fix <coughs> in post. Um, what what over the course okay over the course of your um, over the course of your career what is the hardest you know have you ever been delivered like a pile of like how do I make something out of this and it's I'm sorry but it's just going to be really hard if it's an action sequence you can usually pull that off if there's angles if you've got the angles you can usually almost always make an action sequence. Is it dramatic? Does it have character have an arc in it? I don't know. But that's the hard stuff. That's the hard stuff. People always usually want to see character-driven pieces. It's got to be a good story and fun and, and a cool environment and everything. But they want to be attached to the character in the movie. And they want to see them change. They want to see them change and, you know... It, it has to be an interesting something they want to hook up to for 120 minutes. So that's the hardest part. I want, I want to see David stop coughing. Yeah. <laughs> Is he okay? I don't know. I think he's I think he's got like an illness or something. That's okay. We'll wait for him to come back. Sorry. It's okay. Are you feeling all right? Yeah, it's just. You have such a sweet I'm just face. Just trying not to interrupt. No, I know you are. You do every time you do it. You're, it's professional. Except that I walk away and people notice that. No. <laughs> like between her faces and you walking away, it's, it's like it's like it's like trying to connect an interview in the middle of a nightclub. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, are you okay? There we go. You want to get one of water? Yeah. Do you want? Just, you want here, just finish off what he's drinking. Yeah. yeah. Um. What, what what is a favorite movie that you've ever cut? Your favorite movie? Um, it's probably Payback. It was it was again my baptism by fire, but it was a, a genre that I that 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 I hold dear to. What was the next major film between that after the Payback Paycheck and then what was the, what was the well before Payback? Um, I worked on uh, Jonathan Mostel's Breakdown. Right. 
And um, I, I was a uh, second editor to Derek Breakin, who was the, uh, and he and I cut that, and uh, that was kind of a cool thriller. What's breakdown about? I never saw it. it Kurt Russell. Oh right, with the with um, the bad with guys, JT Walsh. JT Walsh. I never saw the film actually, but it looked cool. Yeah, it was a cool movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're a real '70s guy. Uh, you know, it's the era that I that that, that I embraced. I said, I got to get into this business. Right. You know? By the time I got into it, they had stopped making those movies. <laughs> right. They started making Canadian movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I did... Um, another what? favorite one is Knight's Tale. It was just such a different movie. Right. Um, and That's really sweet, Kevin. <laughs> you did Knight's Tale. Knight's Tale was a cool... made it really nice. It was pretty cool, though. No, no, yeah, I, I, I bet... I mean, There's 27 jousts in that movie. 27 jousts. Each one different. <laughs> Try doing that. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Your face was great. Let me tell you something. There's 27 jazz in that. But also, you had Heath Ledger. Who's oh, it's fantastic cast. performance. Heath Ledger. Paul Bettany. Paul, Be- Paul Bettany. Alan Tudyk. Paul Bettany. No. He's, his stuff must come in. The other thing, I've met him. He's gold. He's gold. And he's also like. So stoic. So I have to imagine like the outtakes from him are kind He's of wacky. just like just like oh well, this didn't work. Well, he plays Chaucer. Yeah. His first day on the set, he's completely naked. <laughs> he's like, well, that's thanks, the rule. They try lot. and get the nudity out of the way. Right, so right. The first day, I don't know anybody, and end. now I'm naked. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen Paul's. I have not. There evidently was some sort of a little sock device or something that uh, you, I didn't, you didn't go looking. I didn't want it. You didn't want to? <laughs> no. Okay, fine. That's not what I heard. <laughs> um, um, and, and, and what was the challenge of cutting Night's Tale? Night's Tale was um, it was all shot in the Czech Republic, um, and the challenge of that was probably that the food wasn't very good. <laughs> 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 Other than that, I had a blast. Right. Yeah. Right. But again, it was two units going, and th- that's usually always a challenge, is sort of blending the first and second units yeah. and and making it look stylistically kind of like all the same. Right. Yeah. Um, um, X-Men. Yes. You were the cutter of X-Men? No, no, I was third. Third cutter. Who's the lead cutter? Uh, Steve Rosenblum. Uh-huh. Second was John Wright. Uh-huh. And then I was brought in as the third one. Okay. Are you saying you were brought in to recut? No, no, no. I it was all we were all a three editor team. So did you guys ever okay, so let's talk about editing and teams, because this is something that you know that um, Well first of all I'd like to say that because probably because of digital filmmaking now, yes. the 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 one editor movie, at least action sequences, is probably on its way out. Really? Yeah. It's just because of the enormous amount of footage. Ah, okay. So this is this. It's is just a, physically, like I said, you so it, you're you're obligated. You have to go through this footage. It's it's your job to make sure you're getting the best material. And it's just the amount of it is becoming daunting. There is something to be said, though, is that the best material becomes something that was second best the minute you put it in context. 
True. I'm, you can I, do that. I'm just, I'm yeah. totally, you know, like you really think this take is not really that great, and then all of a sudden you're editing and you realize, no, I need a, right, you know, right. different flow. I mean, right. but you're saying still, regardless, you need to go through all the footage. That's like a lot. A lot of directors will make selects with the script supervisor. Right. And you, you've learned over the years that after they come in, it's like, like why did you use that take? And I said, well, that was your select. He says, oh, don't listen to that. <laughs> They right. don't really want you to do that. You should really just look at all. You the got words. it. I mean, you have to because you have to make a judgment. And plus, you know, I had a, a, one of the editors I worked for him when I was coming up. He had this saying, Alexis, you you had something similar to this. But he says, "Don't cut the script. A chimp can cut the script." Right. I said, "Well, a really smart chimp." <laughs> but he says, "You know, that's not your job. Your job is to make it something other than." what everybody's expecting. Right. To tell the best possible story. Right. How emotional, how much of your own emotion do you have to impart onto... I mean, it's all emotion, right? I mean, you're just paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's the love of doing it, you know? You have to have a passion for it to be locked in a room for 14 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> you got to, you damn well better like what you're doing. Do you, do you get connected to your pictures? Yes. Do you have you worked? You've worked with great directors. You've worked with difficult directors. All kinds of directors. Okay. What do you do when the director's like a difficult? Well, it's also kind of our job is we have to kind of be chameleon-like. You, you have to sort of adapt to the way they like to work. Hopefully, most of the directors will also will will do a sort of a combination to see. Okay, well, you work best doing this, and I work best doing this. We'll come to some agreement or something because they want to get the best out of you. Yeah. So, but every, you know, every picture, is a, it's a different personality. So on X-Men, you're working in a team of three. Right. Now, which part were you responsible for? It was about 11 years ago. So mm -hmm. I, I did the taking off of the X-Craft. I remember I did that. And I did the fight at the Statue of Liberty up to where they get into the head. Right. And then, and then uh, John Wright, I think, took over from that. Now, there was a shot that was, the Ellis Island sequence, there was a shot that was cut from that, involving the whole thing sort of lighting up or something like that. The shot in Toronto that was just 1.3 megawatts of light. I don't recall that. You cut that out. Probably did. Why the hell did you cut that out? I don't know. <laughs> don't you realize how much work went into that? I don't know. There was blood, sweat, and tears left on that set. Are you heartless? I, I guess so. Well, you have to be. You have to be. You have to you be. Have to be Chainsaw snit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's kill some babies. <laughs> now that I see the, that line, that dialogue with that face, you are one scary dude. Chainsaw Well, you know, the last thing you ever want to hear from a director is, you know, if a shot's got to go, and it's got to go. But you, you don't want to hear, do you know how long it took me to get that shot? It's like, that's not my concern. That's not my concern. <laughs> my concern is telling the story. Yeah. All right, well, isn't it Walter Murch talks about seeing on the edges of the frame? Exactly. Well, you know, and that's uh, what you, the editor just doesn't right. do. Right. He, he also has debunked 3D. Walter. Oh, really? Yeah. What did he say? I don't want to quote him because I don't recall the article, but you should look it up. It's very interesting. Well, just give me the gist. You, Basically, you, that the human, the human mind and the human eye does not translate 3D. That it's not a natural event and doesn't make for good movie making. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. 
Um, let's look at it. Just pick another one of your movies that was fun uh, fun to work on. Uh, start naming some of them. Well, I gotta, I gotta pull up your resume <laughs> on my iPad. And I, gotta go, I gotta go here because you have so many. Here. All right, you Jeff. want me to close this down? Jeff. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Your cards are gonna be forty minutes, just less. You cut. This is it. Oh yeah, that was fun. I was I was one of uh, a handful of editors. On oh that. fuck! Forget that. We got Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so why did you make me look at it? If uh, I figured you were running the interview. Chainsaw stit, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not an interview. It's a conversation. Um, Here's my story of Cloverfield. You got to change. So first of all, Cloverfield. Right. Basically, um, you know, a wonderfully structured little movie. Godzilla comes into into New York, much in the same way Godzilla was inspired by. The you know Hiroshima and, and uh, right. Nagasaki. This is inspired by what happened in nine eleven. This is the American monster tale on in Manhattan on New York soil, right. on U.S. soil. This monster comes in, and our hero has to go try and save his girlfriend, who he can't couldn't quite bring himself to express his love, and she's forty fifty blocks uptown. Right. And when they get there, her buildings collapsed, right. and it's a whole disaster. Found footage element this video camera um the movie's fantastic i mean i don't i personal i mean i'm speaking from i personally loved this movie i loved everything about this movie i thought it was genius conceptually and execution wise everything about it is just it's so on point and so perfectly conceived um what was the sort of flash forward and flashback? The fact that you could use bit different parts of the tape was that in well. The let me uh, let me tell you how I got the job first because okay, yeah, that's yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I got a call to go in and meet uh, Matt Reeves, yep. the director. Yeah, and you know J.J. Abrams is super secret on everything. So normally you get sent a script, you read it, and say, "Yeah, I'd like to meet with him." Nobody was getting a script on this. Nobody. No. So I remember the viral campaign had already come out with the with the head of Statue of Liberty, and yes. remember, which was yes. brilliant, and just it had brilliant. no no title. It was just from yeah, DJ Abrams. exactly. That was it? Yeah. And so Matt, I, I go in and I meet Matt and, and some of the producers, and because there's no script, Matt has been and he's been doing this to everybody. He's been hiring. He just pitches the movie. He does a pitch. And by the time they got around to interviewing editors, he'd probably done it a hundred times. And he was really good at it. I was ready to write him a check for it. <laughs> I mean, I go, this is great, I'm in. Right. And they go, well, I'll let you know. And so a day later I get a call and they said, um, yeah, Matt wants, wants you to cut the movie. And then, But I knew the concept, found footage and everything, and I started thinking about it. I said, you know, you know the art of editing is, is cutting around and coverage and getting getting to where you want to be within the coverage and I realized I said well this is these are like one shots these are oneers and I started thinking that's like how are we going to invisibly get to other shots because the camera stops were only going to happen if it made sense dramatically and I started getting a little worried and so I called Matt up and I said I got I want to do the show but 
I right now I only have like a handful of tricks on how I'm going to get you to other shots. And he just said, "You're going to get more tricks. <laughs> You'll figure it out." So, what were the tricks that you employed? Well, basically, there was you can hide cuts and swish pans, um, can't any camera movements and everything. One of the things I ended up doing was, um, but you had to tell him to shoot the swish pan. I didn't have to tell him. They okay. they did that, but you know, it's never timed right, hardly. Right. So you you can't utilize them all the time. Right. Because, because just because the first, of the logistics, the, first, the, the head end of this one is not the matching. <laughs> right. right. So okay. We have a oneer, but there's. I want to use four different oneers. How do we do it? And one of the things I remember found out doing was that they had. Sometimes they would leave the auto zoom because it was all done on handy cam, except for known visual effect shots, and then they were done on professional. Sometimes the auto zoom would go, and that was enough to hide a cut in. And if they didn't have the auto zoom, the auto focus, the auto focus and zoom. Sometimes it would just bump, and that was enough to hide. And it's and so you could manufacture that in the Avid. You could do a three frame boom, and cut to another take, and it worked. And it worked. And And I think there's only six visual effect um, cuts that we had to hide in that whole movie. Everything else is hidden, or it's a camera stop. It's fantastic. It is. And, and, and again, you know, it's cool doing stuff like that to test you because I'd never done it before. Never done anything like it. And I just had a ball on it. And w- did you have an original cut that was much longer? Because it's pretty taut. The original cut was 84 minutes. Oh. Matt's cut was 74. And then, and then there was sort of where I go, well, is there an official length for a feature film? Well, I think it's 70. There isn't. There isn't, okay. The only, the only length requirement was through some kind of cable markets that they'd already pre-made the deal with. And so we were about nine minutes short, so we have a nine-minute in-credit sequence. <laughs> and um, isn't it true that my understanding is that Steven Spielberg weighed in. He did. On the end of the movie that they should hear the sirens. He did, which was brilliant. And you didn't see, you didn't, so that. Oh, oh, sec. oh, sure. Sorry. No problem. We should just turn off. Yeah. Did you ever get motion sick? I did not, and. Um, well, you're also staring at this as opposed to. Well, you know what? As soon as I got the film together, I took it to, a th- to the theater. Because it was a concern, yeah. and we had. I, didn't under, I really didn't understand why people thought it was a it's ridiculous. ridiculous. I didn't understand it. I was like, "What are you talking about?" I get motion sick from watching the fights in Batman. I know that's what gets me motion sick. I know. Sickness, yeah. I know. By the way, you, met, you mentioned that the fat, the fast cutting of um, Born. of Borns, and yeah. I, I personally, um, I appreciate what they had to do, but I don't like it. I just wish there was more. I was able to watch the two guys. Fight. Right. Well, that's I kind of think it's a style that's sort of had its day. I think. Yeah. You know. Not that Chris Rouse's work isn't brilliant. He's a master at it. Yeah. Well, he's he's a master editor. But by the way, do they do they arrive at it? Like, is it just sort of like they start by cutting punch to punch to punch, and then they start sucking up frames and sucking up frames and sucking, or do they literally just cut it? That I think tight? it's Greengrass's sort of style. Right. I think that's how it's shot. But I'm saying, do you start by like? 
would you start by building the fight and then just tightening and tightening and tightening until it's until it's that? Yeah, and it also it it enables you to get to many more takes than sort of a normally shot or staged scene because again you can you can hide cuts just like in Cloverfield though, but you can hide them within the moves. Right. Yeah. Right. So is it? Are we rolling again? Okay, so is it is it true? So Spiel, so Steven Spielberg saw a cut of the movie. Why why was he brought in? Well, he and he and JJ are, are friends and collaborators, yeah. and I think he just wanted uh, I think they just wanted uh, Steven to see it, and um, I think there was a an attempt to get sort of a ticking clock element over at at the very end of the movie. And that's where the, the air raid siren came in. So, what would it, what did it play out as without the air raid siren? It just didn't quite have the urgency that. See, it's never explained what's going to happen. They're going to blow up Manhattan, but right. it's inferred it's going to be a hydrogen device. Right. You know. So, uh, and it just. So, but, but without the air raid siren, did it just play as though they were just left on the island and they had to get away somehow? No, or? and it basically played the same. It's just just sort of a little a goose. To the intensity of it, because you know that's a mournful sound and scary. Yeah, yeah. So Steven Spielberg saw it and just said, "I, I believe that's I believe that's how it happened." Yeah, because it is so essential. It is. The minute you see that, you know exactly what it is. It's related to Cold War. Anybody that grew up out here, you know, when I was a kid, they had those sirens. Right. And uh, you know, it throws you right back to it, and you know what it means. Right. Yeah. Kevin Stitt. This Thanks was fun. Here, man. This was awesome. <laughs> All right, great. All right, now let me introduce you. Okay. Now that, now that we're done. Welcome back to Craft Truck. In the cut, Kevin Stitt, picture editor. Glad to be here. We're going to cut this down in 10 minutes. Okay, great.